So welcome to this Law in Sport podcast with me, Sean Cottrell, the founder and CEO of Law in Sport. This week's podcast is a special podcast as part of the Sport and Recreation Alliance Learning Week, which this year is focusing on ethics, equality and diversity. I have the pleasure of being joined by a panel of experts in policy, participation and law, and we're going to be focusing on why and how sports organisations can and are creating an inclusive environment for transgender athletes. I'm delighted to be joined by Hannah Dobbing, Policy Advisor of the Sport and Recreation Alliance, Jamie Hooper, the Health and Wellbeing Manager at the ASA, that's the governing body for swimming, for those who aren't familiar with it, Lucy Faulkner, the, an equality consultant who works with a bunch of, well, a very, very long list of sports and other uh, governmental organisations, and Linda Banjuri, a barrister at Littleton Chambers and a Law and Sport Editorial Board member. To start off with, Hannah, can you just explain what the Alliance Week Learning Week is all about? Certainly. So um, as a membership organisation, one of our roles is to support our members in developing both best policy and practice. Um, so Alliance Learning Week this year, as you mentioned, um, focuses on equality, diversity and ethics. And within that, having conversations with our members, we know that um, there is a need for um, more knowledge, information and signposting around um, issues around transgender. So it's great that we've got the experts in the room today and the main purpose is basically that, to open a discussion on transgender, get our members talking about it and hopefully inform them about current issues, best practice and where they can get more support. So for, for those that aren't uh, familiar with some of the issues facing the transgender community, uh, Sport England commissioned a report last year and I'll just read some, some figures for you before I go to the experts for some um, more knowledgeable uh, information. Um, transgender people currently account for an estimated 1% of the population in England, uh, with 20% of those people accessing medical support around their gender. The report highlights that transgender people are subject to multiple intersectional societal discrimination in every area of their lives. Whilst these issues are not all specific to sport, they do dominate so they do impact the ability of transgender people to participate effectively in sport and physical activity. So I wondered if I could ask you, um, maybe start with Jamie actually, um, just to say what your role is at the ASA um, and what you do and what sort of work you're doing with transgender and I'll, I'll, I'll come on to Lucy and then to, to Lydia. Yeah, uh, so uh, as much as my job title says I'm a health and wellbeing manager, um, I'm probably would describe myself as a national lead for inclusion in participation so I sit within our health and well-being team which is part of our overall participation team um, and it's my role to work across uh, kind of equality areas to try and grow swimming participation uh, so I came into post um, almost three years ago um, and I focused um, across a number of different areas of which LGB and trans element have, have been a really important part of that um, so we've tried to do a lot in terms of supporting existing groups that are out there, trying to establish new groups um, specific to trans participation um, and are doing quite a lot of work at the moment to try and support our leisure operators and clubs to be a bit more inclusive to trans and the, and the wider kind of LGBT part of society. Excellent. Well, thank, thank you for that. Um, well, I'll come on to drill, drill, drill down in a little bit more detail about that. Um, Lucy? You've got quite a, 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 a broad remit of the stuff you do sort of on inclusivity, but can you just explain what you're doing particularly around trans at the moment and what your sort of work is? 
Yes, so um, it's mainly working at policy level with governing bodies of sport to help make sure that they've um, got the right policy and procedures in for trans inclusion, whether that's at elite athlete level or participation level. And I worked with the sports councils in 2011 to put together their first guidance around that for sports, um, which was actually published in 2013, and we're just about to redo that guidance in 2017 because it's out of date very quickly. That's great, and I think that highlights how things are sort of developing. On again, I'll come <laughs> on to you in a little bit more detail. Lydia, um, can you explain? Obviously, you're also a sports lawyer, so you, you're an employment lawyer, barrister. And you also do a lot of work in sport. Can you just explain sort of what your input is and why this is an area of interest for you? Yes, well, I'm, my <coughs> specialist area really, both on the employment and the sport side, is equality, and particularly the Equality Act and provisions there which are looking to remove discrimination um, for people both in their employment field but also in participation in, and access to facilities and, and goods and services. Um, I have a particular interest in this because I've been looking a lot recently at issues around the Chand case which is in front of the Court of, court of Arbitration and Sport and in particular the evidence there in relation to testosterone levels. Um, now that's a separate issue we're not discussing today however the information that comes out of that I think could really be relevant to the international guidance that has been issued in relation to trans athletes as well. And just just to be clear for the for, for listeners that the reason why that there is that uh, overlap is because some of the arguments around transgender participation at elite level touches on uh, whether rightly or wrongly it's going, you know, there's various cases that are ongoing at the moment about how much testosterone, <coughs> particularly for uh, females going to male sports, um, how much that may impact on their performance. But we're not going to yeah. touch on that today. That's a whole, that's a whole, much more, <laughs> a, a very complicated. Yeah. So, um, really, the issue is that I think that in, in sport, I always talk about this this shard structure in sport. You've got some sports that have got loads of money, loads of resources, and the reality is underneath that, you've got the majority of other people who are participating in sport, volunteers and others who who try to do a great job. Um, trans may be in, uh, the issue about trans and athletes may be a, a new issue f for many of the uh, administrators. So I think maybe if we start off with Lydia to talk about the sort of the legal backdrop and then come on to because obviously there's certain provisions in place about the law and what people's rights are, and then we'll move on to sort of the policy and, and practical perspective about what um, administrators and executives at clubs and volunteers uh, should be doing and be aware of. Yeah, well, I think the starting point really is that. Under the Equality Act, various things are protected, including people who are gender reassigned or going through that process or proposing to go through that process. Um, and that includes their access to facilities, and that includes, and we've had a number of cases in different fields on this, but access to <coughs> swimming pools and access to um, clubs and gyms and sports groups. And um, under the Equality Act, there are various provisions which allow for a difference in treatment between the genders in a sporting context and those principally look at gender affected sports and to put it really simply because I don't want to spend um, really the interesting point is the practical elements we're going to come on to but a gender affected sport is a sport in which an average man enjoys an advantage over an average woman um, to do with strength, speed um, and, and stamina and naturally occurring physical attributes and if you can demonstrate that those elements come into play in that sport then you can say well this is a gender affected sport and we're now entitled to say that we will have a male competition, a female competition, um, and in relation to trans athletes, you are then entitled to say, because we are a gender-affected sport, 
we will have rules in place which say which competition you are allowed to participate in. And I think that's really um, the kind of fundamentals of the legal position. If you're a gender-affected sport, you have an exception to the general rules that say you can't discriminate against people, to say you can have separate but equal competitions in these circumstances. And uh, something that I know that we were discussing before we started recording was actually what a lot of people don't think about is, are we even a gender-affected sport? And that's really, I think, at the heart of, of what people need to be thinking about with their own policies. Um, but that's really the legal framework. Once you are gender affected, you can run the separate competitions, you need to ensure that there's parity between the competitions, but you then also need, and this is really the kind of challenge for sports where there is a, a gender impact, you need to work out who fits into which category. And that sounds so simple because when you're at school you're told there are boys and girls, and then as you get older you realise it's a bit more complicated than that, and you know people, I think there's a growing awareness generally in the population, there's a growing move towards saying, actually I don't identify with being my birth gender and I want to participate in sport and live my life as a different gender and therefore clubs and societies need to be aware of how will they fairly um, allow for safe participation in sport for those individuals bearing in mind any physical risk that may apply if you have a male to female transgender competing in a female sport um, or indeed a female to male transgender competing in a male sport because there may well be physical risks um, to both themselves or other competitors and they also need to look at actually creating an equal and fair playing field which is fundamental to most sports because that's where the competition part comes in and so it does create then a whole lot of practical um, complications that arise from the pretty basic fundamental legal principles to say you can separate, you've got to have a fair way of separating people and you've got to think very carefully about protecting their safety once you have identified their categories. And just overlaying on top of that, what we found in 2011 um, was that sort of level of understanding wasn't in the sports. It's brilliant to hear it from you, Lydia. But in 2011, what we found was that the sports were implementing the IOC guidance in grassroots sport. So placing what we all thought were quite unfair conditions on transgender athletes in grassroots sport so that was where the sports council's guidance really came from in the first place was to go actually if you continue to impose the IOC guidance in grassroots sport you probably will put yourself at odds with the Equality Act and have a case against you anyway so that's where that, and, that came and, from. And, and, and presumably as well it, it decreases participation which is part of the I think all sports and it's going to be beneficial to all I think everyone would generally agree now to be inclusive and to encourage uh, participation at all levels of all sports is super important and therefore you don't want to have a group of, of stakeholders who can't participate and there's um, the, the Sport Recreation Alliance kindly provided me with some, an interesting fact that 41% of trans young people are said that they were, said they would not join a sports club according to the Metro Youth Chance Survey in 2014. That's a super high percentage, mm -hmm. and, and if you put that in with other just general disengagement from some some of the uh, sort of the younger age groups who about their resistance to, to participate in sport, you know that could probably be even a higher amount from a from a practical perspective. So we've got the the you know the legal issues that you've, you've so well articulated. You know, from a practical perspective and positive. What can people do then to ensure that they don't, one, get themselves in, in difficult positions un, unnecessarily uh, and unintentionally, and also, more importantly, 
give an equal opportunity for these trans athletes um, to participate in sport. I think I was going to say, following on from what Lucy was saying around um, the difference between elite and participation, those bigger sports or bigger governing bodies that tend to have a bigger market share in terms of participation, I think their elite programmes and their grassroots programmes tend to work very differently and often and often in silo so a lot of that kind of conversation you might be having at elite level would never really filter mm-hmm. down to participation level and I think a lot of people listening to this or who aren't who should be listening to this wouldn't have a clue about some of the terminology that we've already talked about in the last 10 minutes or so um, for me um, and swimming our goal our, well, it's our mission in our new strategy is to get a nation swimming the new vision within that is to create a, a happier, healthier, more successful nation through swimming. So just through the vision and the mission now for the next four years, it's clear that we're just talking about everybody in society. We want to get everybody in the pool, which does have a big impact on how we then work with our leisure operators and clubs who are providing those opportunities to try and be as inclusive as possible. Swimming is slightly different mm. to a lot of the other governing bodies because we don't have direct control over facilities mm. um, It's and even the clubs to a point. Um, and that's surprising. I found that out last, uh, 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 <coughs> part of last year that you actually don't own the swimming pools. So, yeah. For, uh, <laughs> for, <laughs> this is surprising. Yeah. Um, so everything <coughs> we try and lead as best practice so on the governing body perspective, we can't input practically without support from private operators and... But presumably then, for, for a lot of the grassroots sports, and that you're a very good case study for that. So so a lot of the clubs in particular will use other facilities that they don't control. They'll hire them mm-hmm. and so forth. So probably, you know, if you could talk about some of the work you've been doing there, I think it would be incredibly beneficial. Yeah, so we've worked with um, a number of um, transforming groups. Um, it's interesting you talk about um, the facts of, in, or the figures in terms of who might want to participate, those who might not. It's really hard to find overall participation numbers for this group. Um, I know that participation is growing because we're working with more groups and my phone is ringing more with queries <laughs> simply. Um, it's how I know that there's more interest in this area. Um, so we've had a range of different queries from across the whole spectrum, from schools that are phoning for advice around pupils that are wanting to transition from clubs, from operators that are having people... Um, really distressed in their leisure centres trying to to get what they think is the right kind of treatment Um, so um, most of the work we've done has been working with um, smaller pockets within probably bigger cities across the country from top to bottom um, working with those groups who want to be a bit more physically active choose swimming specifically um, because of the the benefits that are generally associated and to swimming. What, and what would that sort of work entail? So how would you engage with those groups? So <laughs> say for example, um, I've set up a group, or mm. you know, there's, there's a bunch of people who have got connections that actually want to participate. And we use swimming as the example, but it may be uh, yeah, yeah. a whole bunch of different other sports or leisure activities for that matter. And they approach, and I approach you and say, look, I want to participate. I don't. F- feel like there's anywhere I can go at the moment or are there places I can yeah. go then what happens the one the most successful group we've worked with is a group in London actually who were driven by one particular individual who wanted to get people in the pool um, they managed to get the right people um, around the table from the pool they were targeting from the local authority who were the client for the, the pool operator 
um, and really relevant people to be able to put their point across to say this is what we need we want to come swimming it's not quite right at the moment this is what you need to do to help us um, and it was just really carefully managed throughout that that kind of journey um, swimming itself presents a lot of different issues around swimwear um, clothing and that kind of mm. privacy issue mm. so there's a lot more constraints around swimming compared to probably a lot of other activities so it needs to be a little bit more sensitive sometimes um, involves a few difficult conversations but it presents all those kind of questions that people have around using toilets around changing around privacy in terms of using the pool um, and it was just worked very slowly with the right people around the table lots of open conversations and just managed really slowly um, as so, as so would you example. advise then to people listening and, and Lucy I'd be keen to get your input on this mm-hmm. whether you're if you're a governing body or a club um, would you advise then if someone you know, approaches you that the, the, what the key steps would be to one listen to what they're saying and then try to identify and engage with the right stakeholders or the, the right parties and bring them around the table for discussion is that what it depends who's approaching you so yeah. if it's um, just a member of the public who wants to come and join your club or go for a swim it's fairly straightforward um, at that level you should just accept them in the gender they present and shouldn't actually need much more detail mm. from them where it gets slightly trickier is where you've made an assumption about that person in front of you so I might look at you and go you're a man I'll accept you into this this version of the game or the club I'd look at someone else and go well I'm not sure so I might ask for some additional information but I didn't ask it of you as a man. So it's just being really clear that if you, at grassroots sport, unless there's a safety issue concern within the sport, and Lydia mentioned that, you just should accept them in the gender they present. And then if they then say to you, what changing room should I use, or are there any issues I need to be aware of, then you can work that through with them. So, so I should imagine for some people there's going to be an awkward conversation because the informality of sport will be that they may not have good processes set up so they may not. They may never ask that question. So would you therefore say that, from an organisation perspective, having those basic question a questionnaire to begin with, say what would you you define yourself as, or something along those lines, at the start of the sign up process, that could eradicate a very awkward conversation for yeah. an individual who feels like they're being intrusive. Yeah, and and we've seen that definitely with some of the guidance that swimming are putting together to actually say, well, how do you identify? Um, how would you like us to treat you and you could ask that of anybody whether that's um, someone who's got an impairment or um, a language issue a communication issue the questions are the same what are your needs and what can we do to welcome you into the club or the sport and make it as easy as possible for you to play and no doubt if it's like other areas that doing these sort of best practice has additional benefits as you to, to a whole bunch of different groups, not just to trans. It's just good. It's, it's absolutely it's, Cust- good customer service. Yeah. Is actually what this is about. That's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. All we're trying to do across our work in disability, in ethnic minorities, in LGBT, is just provide the best experience yeah, possible for really everyone. Yeah. So the type of questions you might want to ask. Um, people over your front desk should be generic to everyone yeah it should just be about good customer service and it should just be about providing the best experience yes some areas might have slightly different needs and slightly different um, kind of reasonable adjustments or requests they might need that you can work through but on the whole it's just about yeah. being inclusive to everyone and what, what's, what, so what should happen if, if, if there are because I'm pretty sure there was some some 
things like changing facilities and so forth that, that someone was highlighting there from a, a they were a small club I can't remember which sport they were telling me that they run a small club but they had issues that they didn't have they didn't have enough uh, rooms I think it might have been gymnastics they didn't have enough rooms for the various groups whether it's female, male, uh, age group, age specific and, and so forth. So what should happen in that position where you're so slightly limited, particularly with some of these old fashioned, very yeah. old facilities? No, we see that in quite a lot of the sports. Um, the guidance has always been, it, it would be where the transgender person wants to change, that should be the first issue to address. If, um, and ideally those venues would have single sex single cubicles yeah. to make it easier for people to change where they choose to what you don't want to get is the situation where other club members complain about someone who appears to be a male still yeah. because he's still got um, physical attributes but is identifying as female yeah. and wants to use the female change room what you don't want is members complaining about that so there's a whole education process that sits alongside it to help people understand um, that this is not about um, predatory men wanting to come in and use the female changing rooms and you have to have these very difficult conversations and be very very explicit about it um, this is someone who's already gone through a pretty massive journey already um, to even come to you in a different gender and say I want to use the women's changing rooms is a pretty big step yeah, and just understanding that is, is, is something to think about. I thought that was something that was quite interesting with the work that you were doing Jamie was actually the education which you put in place in relation to the pool staff and people working yeah. with them to make sure that those conversations could take place sensitively and one of the things that I see in so many cases in all different forums is it's communication that's caused people to feel that they've been discriminated against and treated mm -hmm. unfairly and actually often they totally understand the difficulties the other person has in meeting their needs but actually they say well if you'd spoken to me about it you know mm. I would have said this or I would have been happy with that and often when the other side hear that they think oh well you know why didn't you say mm. and I think communication is really at the heart of making sure particularly at grassroots level that we're just allowing people that environment in which they can raise an issue say I'd like to participate this is my worry this is my concern or you know which changing room do I use mm -hmm. and actually having people who are trained to be able to respond sensitively to that in the sort of way that you're saying recognizing the journey that individual's been on not just the impact on others and trying to help educate generally yeah and we find the same we've done a huge uh, behavior change piece of work around disability um, participation mm. a lot of that has been around what we call the kind of hidden impairment gray area mm. where again you might not necessarily get that feeling from across the counter but as long as you're asking the right questions in the right way you're referring them to the right um kind of um accessibility information about the the center or about membership about concessions mm. Then it doesn't matter you'll you'll pick that up and they'll still have the, the best experience they can but you don't need someone to be overly explicit with you if you're just trying to provide good customer service see if anyone needs a little bit of extra support find out where they might want to get changed mm. um, it's just about trying to keep it simple and I think it's so easy to get embroiled in the the legal issues and everyone's so scared about offending people but if yeah. you're just trying to do the right positive thing I think there's just there's a there's some real good justification there. And I don't know if, if you two have experienced this, but um, my experience has been that the first place transgender people <coughs> will seek advice is through the internet. Mm. And they'll immediately go and look at the governing body or the club's website and see what it says. And if there's nothing in that that says we welcome transgender people, 
then there's something they can do straight away. And the power of social media, because what we also know about the transgender networks is they're very networked on social media. So the more that you can put information out through social media to say, we're open, we're, we're accessible, and this is how you'll be treated if you come and knock on the door, then that would really help people feel it's open to anyone. And if someone has a good experience, then they let everybody know mm-hmm. through that social media. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. If someone has a bad one, then so, everyone finds out about that first. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Which comes back to your point about the customer service point mm-hmm. of view, that actually you know, you could, you're closing off an entire market through one bad experience, mm-hmm. or you're opening up a market because you've dealt with one inquiry really well. And I think, and I think if you're taking trans as one example about trying to find or provide good customer service what you can input through trying to work with that audience will have such a positive effect mm. on other areas as well yeah. we're in that place now i mean again before we came online we talked about how we might have a very westernized opinion of how it's working but i think we're in a really positive place where people are really starting to get their heads around the fact that gender and sexual orientation are on this continuum where nobody really knows where they sit um, because things keep changing every day and I just I think there's a really good opportunity for people to just try and forget all that and just try and provide for everyone so in terms of those practical elements around changing a lot of the modern facilities we see being built now tend to be gender neutral you can go in it's a big open changing space but with individual separate cubicles yeah. or separate showers where you can just cater for everyone which also happens to be great for families or elderly yeah. people or people with yep. caring needs. So you, again, you've met all of those different needs just mm. with one simple facility change that actually is really straightforward. Yeah, and so, so, so it's great what you're saying, and I think it's refreshing to hear that, that, that it's being simplified without you know, uh, losing the essence of what it is. I think breaking it down into that way whether it's you know, I know that some people in sport hate being called customers <laughs> so it could be members you could interchange that with members or, or something else but I think the, the point that you, you know that you're responsible for providing something to someone is a good way to, to phrase it so from a so someone listening to this now so they've just they've tuned in and they're thinking to themselves well it's great listening to say this it sounds all wonderful and easy what do I, where do I go to get some uh, a bit more guidance because I think it's I, I like listening to people talk however I always also like to have that have somewhere else I can go just to check the sort of written documentation we can include some links at the bottom of the of the podcast but um, where would you recommend to go to, to get some sort of clear guidance I don't know I think Sporting have Club Matters I'm not sure if they've got um, any guidance on that the ma- the, for me the main um, area where we direct people to is the Sports Council's equality website um, which has whilst it's focused on the equality stand for, standard for sport it's got each protected characteristic, that's the areas under which discrimination can occur. It's got each of those listed with good practice examples. Um, and it's specifically got a section on gender reassignment, which is the legal term for, for the people that we're talking about in this case. So, but the other areas would be the sports governing bodies themselves. Um, and if there's, you know, go and look at what swimming have put on their website and stuff there. Um, football have done quite a lot of work on this. Hockey are just revising their policy, tennis are doing theirs. I suspect that in in the next um, eight months, every sport will be revising their policy mm. because we're going to issue some slightly different guidance. Mm. But that, that would be a good place to start. Again, I think there is a difference, though, about those ones that are looking at policy that tends to have more an effect on uh, probably competition elements where what we're trying to do now, we do have a competition policy in place which we will update when further guidance comes out but what we're trying to do is put put 
practical toolkits out there to support operators on the front line, clubs to be more inclusive, um, with a lot of content, like just generally from language and uh, terminology to practical kind of tips that they can do with the environment and what they can provide in the pool. Where would, where would I go? Is it the, you got the tags, which is the transgender and gender non-conforming swimming. Yeah. Is there a set, uh, is it part of that or is it where could... So where this could... will sit on our um, overall website and will be sent out um, to all operators across so the country. Is it ASA? Dot so it's swimming.org. Swimming.org. Yeah. That's uh, it. I'm sure it was ASA in one yeah, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> trying to keep on the trend. So, so people just go to swimming.org, yeah. type in transgender. And there's a whole get, equality section. And, and there's a whole equality yeah. section. And that's very practical. And then obviously mm-hmm. then we've got the updated um, policy coming from the Sports Council. And then Lydia, from your, from your perspective, is there anything further you wanted to add in, in, in this space from, a, from a, just from a legal standpoint to maybe either reassure people who aren't we're not talking, again we're not talking about the higher participation yeah. point uh, so competition point but from a participation level just to reassure people who are maybe a bit concerned that they that they may get themselves in trouble by doing the wrong thing saying the wrong thing I think uh, I think the kind of message for those who are involved in running sports groups and whether that's I mean we've talked a lot about swimming because because James here and they're doing some really good work in that field but you know if you're running a local football club or you're running a local um, sports team of any type um, the, the question that we sort of mentioned earlier about whether it's gender affected the, the simple answer which I think was provided earlier by you it was just to say you know what if they're it, when we're talking about children and before puberty hits we don't have to worry about that at all so just everybody's in if you want to participate you participate and as you then if we do start to get into more competition elements and that sort of thing actually at an amateur level as long as there's no safety issues if somebody says to you I'm male, I want to compete as male, let them compete as male. Mm-hmm. And actually, that way you avoid those issues. Um, but the key thing I would come back to is be open to conversations. And if you're concerned it might be an awkward conversation, provide a safe space to have that conversation. Don't necessarily do it over the reception desk, don't necessarily do it in the kind of general common room where everybody is. But say, would you like to, have a com- would you like to chat about how you can get involved in our club? We'd really like to have you here. You send that positive message of welcome to begin with and then you can get the information from them because personally somebody who wants to access your services has come to you and said I want to participate they'll be able to tell you better than you can mm. guess what the issues are that they face and how they would like those to be resolved and I think one of the things that Jamie has emphasized in the case study that we've sort of looked at is actually how those communication and those conversations with people are absolutely central to getting a solution where everybody's happy and that includes the person who's walked through your door and wants to play. And actually, if they come in and say, I want to play, and you think to yourself, is there any safety issue here? Is there any issue with other participants, their safety? No? Okay, well then, what can we do to enable you to play? And that may also involve, in the same way it would if somebody came through who was deaf and wanted to play, and you therefore need to educate the rest of the participants in the particular needs that individual has, may also involve sensitive conversations with other people, but again, talk to the individual about how you'd like those conversations to take place. Because when we do things in partnership, we're far less likely to get somebody bringing a legal claim against us. Mm-hmm. Because actually, they can see we're working with them to assist and facilitate. And it's only when they feel that their rights are being blocked or prevented that they then say, well, if you won't give me what I'm entitled to, then I have to go to a legal mm-hmm. remedy. And mm-hmm. let's hope nobody ends up going down that route because we can have those conversations first. Uh, it's a good planning, isn't it, really? It's good planning. Yeah. And I think... Listen to what you say, having run out a sports club myself and dealt with various um, 
people with disabilities and other abilities um, and different backgrounds and stuff like that. You can, if you're focused on just running a club, sometimes you can get caught out because you're you're in the middle of doing the administration stuff. Like so if you haven't thought about it in advance, you can end up not dealing with something in the way that you would like to because you haven't prepared yourself to say, oh, if you could hold on for five minutes because you, you're already pre-planned what you want to do you, you say yeah. okay you know just get involved or get stuck in and the person mm. you haven't had that, that conversation to make sure that yeah. someone feels comfortable that they feel that they've been in, inducted in the right way I think it's very good advice I, think, I was just going to pick up that message about making sure that everyone has the best experience possible I think it's so important and one of the things we've really focused on on this toolkit we're about to release because again for swimming particularly where you're looking at swimwear can be a real issue um you tend to find then that staff are probably going to need a bit more education. It's going to be relevant for the lifeguard on poolside. It's going to be relevant for other users in the mm. centre. Um, and you need to have those upfront conversations with people because we want the trans customer, for want of a better word, to have the best experience. But in order for that to happen, we need to know exactly how they're going to use that centre so we can make sure that everyone else is comfortable and that they don't, or you reduce the risk of them coming up against bad experiences as much as you can. I think for all parties involved, they want to yeah, avoid yeah. that, right? It's not even in anyone's interest mm. to do that. And as you said, it's just it makes whether it's good business or good participation. If you're a volunteer organisation or whatever, it's just good practice. Um, and I think it's refreshing to hear you talking quite straightforward terms because I think that some of the issues around inclusivity uh, across the board is the fact inequality is the fact that sometimes it gets overcomplicated. Mm. But really, you said some of these basic elements of good communication yeah. actually because yeah. people get frightened of actually having going. Oh, I think this may be an issue. I'm not sure. I just won't. I'll just avoid yeah. it. Um, and I really don't think that most trans people who are going to use a leisure centre are going to expect the person behind that counter to be an expert in mm. transitioning. Um, I think they just again want to be not singled out yeah, or treated, treated any differently yeah. yeah they're not expecting you to be an expert at all but as long as you're showing some willingness to try and learn and just treat them mm. exactly the same as anyone else with a little bit more information ask for in the right way then everyone should have the best experience well i hope you agree that was an informative and engaging discussion around some of the issues affecting the transgender community however one of the omissions from the panel discussion you may have noticed was someone from the transgender community. Therefore, I had the privilege of speaking with Roberta Francis, who heads up TAGS, which is the Transgender and Non-Conforming Swimming, about her experiences as a transgender person participating in sport and provide some advice for sports organisations who want to do better work with working with the transgender and non-conforming groups. Roberta, thanks for, for joining me for this podcast today. Transgender is is something that, or well, transgender community is a community that has been marginalised and, and often overlooked by the sports sector. Um, I understand, though, that you've been uh, at the lead of helping represent the voice of transgender and non-conforming groups uh, in the swimming community, and I believe there's, you know, you've had some success there. I'd be delighted if you could talk about, you know, sort of the work you've been doing, uh, the yeah, extent yeah. to where, where, where that, where oh. that, where that reaches. Well, basically, we started in Lewisham in 2014 because um, I was having a lot of trouble with Lewisham Council around my identity and being misgendered and, you know, totally treated very badly um, by the council. And as a result of that, I started pushing them for, you know, safer trans spaces. And 
basically we started a group in Lewisham in 2014, in October 2014. Now, we went to first swimming group to start. There's been swimming groups over the years. There's been one going in Manchester for a long time, and there's been one in Brighton. Um, and, but I think our group, because we, the space we found is very suited to, the, to our needs, so we have an enclosed changing room, um, shutters that come down in the pool, um, you know, we're able to to exclude ourselves within that space without trying to, you know, we're not trying to segregate ourselves, but we need to feel safe. And that's the whole idea. It's about putting, allowing trans people to go into a space that, that feels safe to them, especially around the whole idea of swimming costumes and, you know, the whole gender binary. Because people, you know, most people will just, if they grow up in, the gender that they are happy with will just wear the you know swimming costume that is seen as appropriate to that gender. But on the other hand, if you're trans and you you know you are identifying as a different gender, you're obviously going to wear that costume for that gender. This is where it's very difficult because that whole you know idea of trans people throughout the years in the media was very negative. It was all, you know, you were seeing like, you know, basically like um, deviants for a long time. We were just seeing deviants, you know. And then basically after Lucy Meadows died, things started to change. But the media is still, you know, has a long way to go. But basically, so we started this space. And, you know, Lewisham Council have been very good in the sense that they've helped us in, you know, getting the space. Um, but it's still difficult because we have to constantly, you know, check back with the pill to make sure everything's okay. Sometimes they send in cleaners into the dressing rooms at the wrong time or the shutters have been broken or the shutters haven't gone down in time because they don't really understand how um, important this is that we have feel safe, you know. And do you think that's that, one of the things? Uh, sorry, is that, and, and, and do you think that's a, a sort of a learning process? So, you know, you said that it was a while ago now, 2014, um, when this all started for you. Um, do you think that that, um, that your relationship with them has developed? And it, uh, Yeah, and yeah, it... yeah, of course. I mean, it is a learning process. And they, you know, they people want to get things right and people want to be fair. And, you know, you know when they do get it wrong, they do apologise. But sometimes it takes a lot of effort. So if we start a new space with a different leisure centre, which we've done recently in Swiss College, there's like an interim period where you have to keep going back and, you know, reiterating what you've said and, you know, ensuring that everything's done properly, that the safety is right. That I mean, we had examples in one pool where there was somebody who was cisgender was in the pool still when we were supposed to be using it. And it was like, oh, no, we didn't, you know, so it's this kind of, like, so we say that we need to be, there, like, the space needs to be ready from half past eight to ten o'clock. That means the pool is cleared, the changing rooms are cleared, so trans people go in, feel safe within that space. And it's not the fact that somebody coming in and seeing them, it's the fact that somebody came in and seen them and made a negative comment. Yeah. It's where the trolls are all, because it's so, I mean, getting people to the pool is difficult enough, you know. 
Yeah, and I guess you know, from a, from a trans perspective, of right again, that this whole um, you know, everybody has issues. Oh, I don't know if everyone has issues, but often sort of going swimming is is slightly different to say, for example, playing football. I mean, yes, of course, people that have body body dysmorphia, lots of people have body dysmorphia, but I think it's it's you know, someone who might be overweight going to a pill would be different. You know, who might feel self conscious. Different is nobody's going to really you know use that in a way that would be like in a hate crime you know you know what i'm saying so we were in birmingham when we started in birmingham and we had local youths come into the pool and try to like ruin the session so we had to get the police involved so there's this kind of like teetering problems you know and um, so so from from sorry for, so, so that's from all right and so, so no that's brilliant um it's really interesting to because this is this is one of the things that we need more of is more discussion, more um, more awareness of what the issue what the issues are. Because I think you said in just in an interview that most people want to do the right thing. They just don't sometimes just don't know how to do the right thing. So there's two I guess there's two different things here. So we have got from if you were going to give advice to um, which sounds like and I've heard before that you know the, the, the work that you're doing is is is, is being successful. And it's having the sort of impacts that you you want you would like, and um, and it's and it's progressive. You see, it is and it isn't oh, because right. I mean, so I mean, like say we've got Lewisham, yeah, mm-hmm. the space in Lewisham, right? And but the, that's the only space in, in South London. So if people want to come from say Dartford, Kent, they have to travel over. So we've had we get people from like 30, 40 miles away. We even get people from Oxford. Wow. Because there's nowhere else for them to go. Right, okay. So, so this is what happens. So it is a positive in the sense that it's there, but there, need, there needs to be more of these uh, spaces. In order there needs to... To, and that's the point, you right. see. And it's, it's, it's very difficult because the resources are not there. Right. So, we've just, I mean, I've put in for a uh, funding bid with Sport England, which will give us some leeway. But, I mean, it'll only kind of sort out spaces in London and you know perhaps one or one or two other spaces outside of that and it'll only mean me and I can do this project for two days a week if we get the funding and um, so what happens is you have this kind of like gap where nobody's doing it because nobody has because if you imagine if you if you're trans and you're trying to the the chances are you're going to find it very difficult to get employment yeah you know and um, the chances are that you will have have so many other things to deal with, family issues and you know medical things that you just won't have that incentive or drive to do it. Yeah. So this is where it it gets really difficult, you know. And so, um, yeah. Thanks, thanks for 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 for, for highlighting mm-hmm. that because it is, you know, again, this is all stuff that, you know, you know, and I like to think I'm. You know, try to I try to educate myself as much as possible, but again, I'm sure me and, and many others would just make assumptions, and so we don't mm. know all the details. We don't know what it's like. So we, you know, we're not going through it. So the uh, and having to experience all the all the prejudice and the barriers that are there, because sometimes some barriers are quite obvious, and other ones are, um, you know, you just don't realise. Yeah, yeah, more subtle. So, uh, nevertheless, the you know, I do think that it sounds like it's been a success, and I appreciate on the in the in the um, wider context it may not feel that way but from your experience I guess there's two things that I would like to, to ask you what sort of advice would you give to other trans people who are looking to or, or non-conforming who are looking to set up sports clubs and I think swimming's 
you know kind of slight maybe slightly un unique in the sense that you know the issues yeah. with the costumes and, and, and so forth um but what sort of advice would you give to someone who does want to set well, up let's say approach you know find out from your peer group what people want yep you know in your area if they want swimming or if they want you know whatever sport you know and like even like stuff like rock climbing indoor rock climbing seems very popular with us and yoga and not necessarily sports but physical activities ask your community local community what they want and then get doing it on your own isn't easy i've been lucky i've had other people who are involved in this project who have supported along the way so having people around you to support you is it's very important and then just ask just tell the local authorities because at the end of the day you have a you know they have a statutory duty to provide you know within the equality act and facilities for you you know i mean the whole thing about goods and services i mean and you don't have to be like all gung-ho about it you, just, you know you just approach a local authority or approach even your own lgbt organization and ask them for support you know because i mean the resources are everything but i think you just need a bit uh you know the willingness to do it and you can do it because people want there is the desire from i mean two years ago i don't think we would have had the same attention that we get now you know like from yourselves from sport england from you know and um, like different organizations that were like that are supporting us and you know trying to help like london sport and things like that so it's just you just got to get yeah, local and community to you know those other trans and gender non-conforming people interested you know and then it just takes a lot of like encouragement because the least little thing can set it off where people go oh well i can't go there now because of this happened or that yeah. happened or yeah, it's amazing, isn't no. it? Like, yeah, the one experience can sh can shape someone's perspective. But then, from mm. from from a from a from a perspective of, um, let's say, a traditional sport or physical activity, or like you know, from an organisation perspective, there, what advice would you give to, say, if I was running a sports club or or a centre or something like that? What advice? For would, trans people. Yeah, yeah. What advice? What advice? Yeah. Well, no, just, need just, trans just, people no, to be. Well, just, 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 on, sorry. just in general. So I'm running. Say, if I'm just running a, a club for the community, uh, for example. And then, what sort of advice would you give to me to make sure you know that? So if I can approach you and said, look, what, what would you help? How would you help me to make sure that I'm inclusive? I might like with you if, say, for example, if if a, if a trans person wanted to join your mm -hmm. space. Is that what you mean? Yeah. What could, well, I, think, what, what could I do you know, to make sure need, that I make... You'd need to be aware of the issues of trans identities. You know, you'd yeah. need to know that if you did, you know, you see, you might see, someone might come to your sports club, right? I'll give you an analogy, right? Mm. They're, they're trans, they're um, male to female. They haven't had any, um, cosmetic, you know, surgery, yeah. either, you know, facial surgery. They may might be six foot five, you know, they might look feminine, that feminine, but yeah. they identify with him as being feminine. That's yeah. how they are. And whatever way you see it, the bottom line is you need to respect the fact that this is their, you know, chosen identity. Yeah. They self-identify as that person. Or, you know, so it's being able to just, even just ask the person what their needs are, what, you know, what gender do you identify as? And, 
if you get it wrong, just apologise. Yeah. You know, we're all, you know, trans people are just as human as everybody else, you know, so. It's just uh, having that sensitivity and awareness and then get your organisation, get some training for your organisation, you know, which is more important, really, you know. Contact local LGBT groups or, you know, charities or whatever who provide tra- training about trans awareness. Yeah, it's great advice. I mean, it comes down to resources, really. Yeah. How much you want, you know, the organisation wants to put into it. Because, I mean, I give... If you look at any of the sport England, sport, any of the sports, say, for example, Swinathon, the advertising done on these brochures, there's no trans, there's no queer people, there's no trans people. Yeah. On these, you know, and what you can hear back is, oh, well, it's really difficult to, um, you know, get people to come forward, you know, not if it's done right, if it's, you know, if there's some resources put into it. Mm. It's like anything else, isn't it, you know, so... Um, I think there needs to be a change, a cultural change, you know, within these organisations to say yes, we're gonna put, come forward and say right, we are trans inclusive. This is what we're doing to show that. Uh, essentially, because people sometimes don't under, uh, stop and think that if they don't expressly invite someone or say that they're welcome, yeah. um, that they then they may in itself be giving the impression that... Not be that, seen as being inclusive. Exactly. Thank you. You articulated it much yeah. better than I did. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I can see that being a problem. 